Our topic, this is Satan and Satanism, number two. And uh, we had a very long introduction, why it's so important, and we began to look at it. Uh, we've come to the section called Satan and uh, Satan's Nature and Character, and we'll be looking at a lot of stuff. I'm going to read from Genesis 3. You'll understand why later. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat the tree of the garden, of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree... We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We'll stop there. That's Genesis 3, 1 to 5. So we look at Satan's nature and character. Satan is the chief biblical term for the most powerful evil spirit who lives, who is the leader of all the fallen spirits that exist. Uh, and we'll look at this. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they usually translate Satan as diabolos, which means the devil. <clears throat> the teaching of Scripture regarding Satan is that he is a real personal being, it's not a principle. He's a real creature, a spirit, who is a powerful yet finite creature who leads the demonic host and all those in opposition to Christ, as defined by the Bible. The best way of learning about Satan is to look at the scriptural terms used to describe him, his names or titles, and the passages that describe his activities. And there are a number of dis different designations for the devil. We'll look at all the main ones. Number one. As we noted, the most common word is Satan from the Hebrew, uh, from the Hebrew Satan, pronounced Satan. Satan. The word has the general meaning of adversary or enemy. In the Old Testament, the word without the article is applied to men, because it simply means adversary or enemy. Uh, sometimes it's applied to it's applied to David. First uh, Samuel 29.4, the enemies of God and his people in the imprecatory psalm, Psalm 109.4.6, 2029. It is used of the angel of Yahweh who opposed Balaam, the false prophet, Numbers 22.22. And it is used of an adversary, that is Satan, who stood up against Israel and provoked David to renumber Israel. First Chronicles 21.1, and that's very interesting. Uh, the account in Kings says God caused David to number Israel and Chronicles says Satan caused him to number Israel. In other words, God allowed Satan to do it. Uh, Satan is under God's control as far as he's on a leash. <clears throat> the word of the definite article is used throughout the book of Job, Job 1, 6-12, 2-1-7, to, to describe Satan as the adversary of God's people. The Satan. The adversary. It's a title. In Zechariah 3.1, Satan opposes Joshua the high priest in God's throne room, and is rebuked by Yahweh. In the Greek Septuagint, the word Satan as a designation of the devil is uniformly translated diabolos, English, devil, except at 1 Kings 11, 14, where it is transliterated as Satan. The Latin Vulgate follows the LXX, the Septuagint, and usually renders as diabolos, their translation of the Old Testament. I don't know why they just didn't use Satan and transliterated, but they, that's what they did. 
In the New Testament, the doctrine of Satan as an evil spirit who opposes God, Christ, and the people is even more clear. Now, just a quick footnote here. Christian liberals or modernists, which are simply unbelievers, they're people who use religious terminology, but they don't believe the Bible is inspired, uh, hold to the idea that uh, this idea of Satan came into Judaism from uh, <clears throat> hold of the idea, regard Satan, uh, generally speaking, their idea of Satan is that Satan as a real personal evil spirit being is a myth. They don't believe in a personal spirit being named Satan. They teach that the idea that the devil is a real evil being came into Judaism very late, about two centuries before the birth of Christ. And we are told that the idea came into Judaism for Persian dualism. Supposedly, the religious leadership in Israel increasingly accepted the idea of a personal evil being because it helped explain the existence of evil. That's a liberal position, and it is total nonsense. It's just unbelief. That's all it is. It's unbelief. The problems with the Christian liberal position are manifold. Number one, a personal evil spirit being is found in the five books of Moses, for example, the temptation narrative, Genesis 3, 1 to 15, written by Moses, and in the book of Job, a very early book. Job's a patriarch. He goes back in the days of Abraham. Two, the modernist view uh, assumes a priori, that is before even the facts are considered, that the Bible is uninspired by God, it's not inspired, and thus is simply a very defective history showing the evolution of a religion within a tribe that came to be called Israel. They teach us in liberal seminaries. Well, there is this group of people, they came to be called Israel later, and they developed they, their, their religion, they were pagans, and they, they, their religion evolved into monotheism. Now, if you believe that, why in the world would you have churches? Why in the world would you sing hymns or, or psalms? Why would you do any of that? It's all a myth. It's just some uh, poppycock made up by the Jews. Now, if one presupposes unbelief and rejects written revelation, then one can posit any arbitrary humanistic theory one desires. Liberals, or Christian modernists, uh, offer a subjective opinion founded upon a non-factual, non-empirical assertion, uh, assumption of a chance materialistic, meaningless universe. So I say, why should we believe what liberals say? There's no reason to believe what they say. They have no proof. It's their opinion. And their opinion is satanic and false. Number three, Scripture, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, is inspired by God. That is, it's God-breathed, breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and infallible, and therefore does not make mistakes or teach myths. This observation is not only the testimony of Scripture itself, but the Word of God is self-authenticating and comes with its own abundant proofs. Okay, you've got 66 books of the Bible written over a period of a couple thousand years by several different authors, zero contradictions, perfect harmony, perfect harmony of doctrine, perfect harmony of worldview and philosophy throughout. If it was not inspired, that would be impossible. The perfect fulfillment of dozens of prophecies, dozens and dozens of prophecies. No other book that claims to be religious does this. They're just bullpucky made up by false prophets. It's perfect exaltation of Yahweh, the true and living God. It's teaching regarding salvation, which is the only rational, perfect system of justification on planet Earth, etc. 
So it is self-authenticating. And I could spend an hour talking about that, and Greg Bonson's really good on that if you ever listen to Greg Bonson. So we don't just simply believe because it's arbitrary and it's an irrational leap of faith. That's nonsense. It's the only rational position. And we believe in God because the impossibility of the contrary, because Scripture is self-authenticating. It proves what it teaches. It's not arbitrary. It's not irrational. <clears throat> Here's what Peter says, 2 Peter 1, 19-21. We have the prophetic word confirmed, the old translation, made more sure, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And of course, see 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, and then Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus repeatedly, what does Jesus do when he's tempted by the devil? It stands written. It is written. It stands written. It is written. Shut up. The word of God says this. The word of God is true. Go pound sand. Okay. The Bible is the, very, the word of God. The Bible is infallible in every area of it, which it speaks. Religion, science, history, everything it says is absolutely true. There are no mistakes. There are no myths. So you can reject liberalism. Uh, you should reject it because it is satanic. The antagonism of the devil against Jesus and his kingdom of grace runs throughout the New Testament. In Matthew 12, 25-27, Jesus makes it clear that Satan rules a kingdom and is the head of the demonic hosts. In John 12, 31, Satan is called the ruler of this world. And by that, he is the ruler of fallen men and uh, their worldly empires. He doesn't rule over Christians. In Matthew 4.10, Jesus rebukes Satan for asking our Lord to worship him in order to possess all the world's kingdoms and their glory. Well, when Jesus said that, all the world's kingdoms were ruled by Satanists, including Israel, which is ruled by unbelievers that were apostate. In Mark 4.15, Christ tells us that it was Satan who comes and takes away the word of God or the gospel out of the hearts of the stony ground hears. So we see that Satan is actively opposed in history against the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way to be saved from sin and death. Thus we see that atheistic and heretical arguments against the biblical worldview originated with the devil. In Luke 10.18, Jesus prophesied that about Satan's great fall or defeat due to Jesus' death on the cross. Stop, because I forgot the first point, because I wrote it on the back of a page. The first point was Satan's fall, and we'll get back to this. We're talking about Satan's nature and character. Sorry about this. I, I forgot to, to read this to you. Uh, this is Satan's fall. This is actually the first point. I'm into the second point. The Bible says that Satan was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That's Ezekiel 28:12b. Now, the descriptions that we have of Satan's fall come from Ezekiel and Isaiah. And this is agreed by all conservative scholars. They come in the context of what God describing. It's one of these situations where God is describing the leader, pagan leader of a nation, and then he goes into 
what Satan is like to show that the leader is like Satan. Okay, that's Ezekiel 28.12b. His form was so beautiful that he is described as being covered with every precious stone, sardius, topaz, diamonds, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold, Ezekiel 28.13. He was the anointed special guardian who walked in Eden and on the holy mountain of God, Ezekiel 28.14. He was perfect in all his ways as the highest created angel from the moment of his creation until he rebelled against God and iniquity was found within him. Ezekiel 28.15 And he fell because he was filled with pride and wanted to supplant God. Ezekiel 28.17 He wasn't happy with submitting to God. He didn't want to submit to God. He didn't want to be a servant of God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to call the shots. He wanted to determine what was right and wrong. And so he fell. Pride led him to reject obedience toward God. He said to himself, and this is from Isaiah 14, 13 and 14, I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. His plan was to exalt himself against and above God. And the essence of his fall was the denial of the creator-creature distinction. That creatures exist under God's sovereign authority to glorify and serve him within their God-created, God-defined, and God-assigned callings within Yahweh's creation. He denied the creator-creature distinction. And that's what secular humanists do. We're creatures. God made us. We're not here to serve ourselves. We're not here to live for self. God made us, and we owe everything to him. The very air we breathe, he created. Every atom of our bodies he created, our souls he created. We're here to serve him. We're here to obey him. We're here to trust in him through Jesus Christ. Because Satan fell, he will be brought down, and this is from Isaiah 14, 15, to the lowest depths of the pit. Satan did not create hell and is not the Lord over hell. Hell was created by God as the eternal prison for the devil, his fallen angels, and all men who reject Christ and serve Satan instead of God. This is from Jude 6. The angels who did not keep their proper domain, and domain there is used in the sense of their assignment, what they were supposed to do under God, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness of the judgment of the great day. Satan's attitude, pride, and commitment to autonomy from God in order to be his own God is the paradigmatic original for all secular humanists who deny creation ex nihilo, that is from nothing, and who thus declare themselves as the ultimate determiners of truth, meaning, and ethics. Okay, once again, the doctrine of creation is vital. If you don't believe in creation, if you believe in evolution, macroevolutionary theory, uh, you can't know truth and your whole worldview is distorted and perverted in a satanic direction. That's why there are wonderful people that are very conservative politically, like Jordan Peterson, for example. He's a very good speaker. He's very dynamic. He's very charismatic. and He's fun to watch. But when he talks about religion, uh, because he doesn't believe in creation ex nihilo and these things, he says things that are absolutely ridiculously and, and stupid, you know, that are satanic. <clears throat> but other than that, he's very entertaining. The Bible, the biblical descriptions of Satan's pride and thinking that led to his fall come in descriptions 
of the exceptionally wicked, tyrannical, megalomaniac kings of Tyre, that's Ezekiel 28, and Babylon, Isaiah 14. Why God did it that way, I don't know. But uh, the king of Babylon did not walk on the heights of God's mountain. <laughs> the more that men and political leaders conform themselves to the world, life view of the world and life view of the devil, the more that our God-given liberties under biblical law will be denied and replaced with an oppressive demonic statism. You can't oppose something with nothing. As Christians, our job is to replace secular humanism, which is Satanism, with the biblical world and life view, and that means the biblical law order, that means the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God, and the moral case laws that explain and flesh out the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Okay, now we're back to Satan's nature and character. Sorry about that. I, I write things in the back of pages, and I, sometimes I forget to read them. <clears throat> so the antagonism of the devil against Jesus and his kingdom of grace runs throughout the New Testament. In Mark 4.15, Christ tells us that Satan who comes and takes away the word of God out of the gospel out of hearts. In Luke 10.18, Jesus prophesied about Satan's great fall or defeat due to Jesus' death on the cross. And we'll look at that as a separate point. Jesus will defeat the devil at the cross. And that's prophesied in Genesis uh, 3, where God tells the serpent that he'll bruise his heel, but in doing so, Satan, Christ will crush his skull, crush his head. In Luke 22.3, Satan enters Judas so that he would betray Jesus. In Luke 22.31, our Lord warns Peter that Satan has asked for him to sift him as wheat. He wants to destroy Peter. But in verse 32, we see that Christ intercedes for Peter and gives him divine protection. Jesus did not intercede for Judas. And Judas fell and went out and hanged himself. The rope broke. He fell on some rocks and it ripped his guts open and his intestines fell out. That is a very ignoble, a very humiliating death. It's a shame. But Peter, who sinned and cursed, denied Christ three times because Christ interceded for him. Peter uh, became a great apostle, only really second to Paul in the history of the church. <clears throat> Satan is finite, and he can only do what God permits him to do. In Acts 28, 8, 26, 18, Paul, Paul tells us that Jesus told him that his preaching the gospel to the Gentiles was, quote, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So when you see these people like Joel Olstein and they turn the gospel into basically a pop psychology movement of getting more wealth and being happy about life and, you know, whiter teeth and nicer car and all that kind of stuff, it's absolute rubbish. It's satanic nonsense. We're involved in a holy war against the devil and his minions. And the gospel is the means to destroy that. Not pop psychology. You know, because Joel Osteen won't talk about evil, he won't talk about sin, he won't talk about hell, he won't talk about all these things. Everything's positive, everything's about being happy and all this. It's rubbish. That's why his church is so big, because it's full of unbelievers. In Romans 16.20, Paul talks about God crushing Satan under the church's feet soon. God applies the definitive and perfect 
victory of Christ at the cross of the church's spread of the gospel progressively in history. And of course, there's some who think that may apply to uh, the overthrow of Nero or whatever. In 2 Corinthians 11:14, Paul speaks of Satan's tactic. He transforms himself into an angel of light. You have to understand, the image of Satan that, we, that we're given by medieval art and modern movies and culture is that he's like, you know, remember Alien in the movie Alien? That's what Satan's like. He's this hideous monster. No. Satan is a very beautiful creature. It's what he teaches and what he does that makes him a monster, not his appearance. In Revelation 2.13, Jesus says that Satan's throne is in Pergamos. Pergamum was the official cult center of emperor worship in Asia Minor. Rome was the center of emperor worship in the West. Pergamum was the center of Roman uh, pagan worship, uh, emperor worship in the East. So, does God teach neutrality with regard to politics? Do whatever you want, and just as long as you go to church? No. People in civil office who oppose the church are equated, really, to be the right arm of Satan, to be his minions. In Revelation 12, 9, Satan is described as the one who deceives the whole world. Number two, the word devil, diabolos, is the most common designation of Satan in the New Testament, 36 times. In Revelation, the dragon who fights against the good angels and seeks to destroy God's people is called the devil and Satan. 12.9. In Matthew 4, in the temptation narrative, Jesus calls the devil Satan, verse 10, while the narrator repeatedly calls him the devil, verse 1, 5, 8, and 11. The word devil, diabolos, comes from the verb diabolo, which refers to a verbal assault or accusations. It has a sense of accuser, slander, false accuser. to just destroy people by verbal accusation. Sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not. That's why Christians are gossiping is such an evil sin. It's, that's why gossiping and slandering other Christians is so satanic. The designation Satan uh, focuses on the devil as the adversary or enemy of God. He is opposed to God's authority, word, commandments, plan of dominion, plan of salvation, and covenant people. This designation speaks to one of Satan's chief tactics in opposing Yahweh and his plans for his people. In the temptation narrative in Genesis 3, the devil accuses God of not being honest with Eve and of having her best not having her best interest in mind. Has God really said that, Eve? Verse 1. And then the bold lie, verse 4. You will not die. God's lying to Eve. He wants to deny you the right to create your own law, to be like God and determine for yourself what is good and evil, and have a fulfilling, satisfying, fun hedonistic life. And that's the basis of abortion. That's the basis of sodomite rights. That's the basis of welfare programs where you steal from one people to buy votes from another. The devil argues that God's restrictions are a denial of blessings. Satan's solution is for man to distrust God, to reject his law and authority, and to determine for himself what is good and what is evil. So Satan his philosophy, what he wants, is for man to determine everything autonomously, that is apart from God, and sit in judgment over Yahweh, 
and over God's word. These idiots, like George Carlin, the comedian, and these these atheist idiots that go on YouTube. What guy wrote a book basically saying that God is evil? Um, they're sitting in judgment over the God of the Bible. Now, what's sad? What's tragic? It kind of makes me angry, actually, is that these men know nothing about the true God because they're spiritually dead and trespasses and sins, and they don't understand the Bible at all. And they don't understand that uh, man's problem is not caused by God. Man's problems are caused by man and sin. Man got himself in this predicament. God did not do it. But anyway. The essence of atheism is not simply an empirical questioning of whether God, the, the God of the Bible really exists. It rather is an expression of hatred and hostility toward the true and living God. The God who really exists, who is infinitely holy, righteous, and just, is falsely accused of being evil, unloving, and unjust. The atheist slanders God and blames him for man's evil, wickedness, and monstrous behaviors. for man's evil, wicked, monstrous behaviors that have brought misery, suffering, and death into this world. Secular humanists are Satanists who have lost the ability to reason correctly and thus embrace foolishness and nihilism. Stalin murdered 20 million people. Was that God's fault? Now, you could say, well, God could have prevented it, but that's not the point. Adam fell. Adam voluntarily went into sin. Men voluntarily, of their own will, sin. Yes, they're slave to sin. Yes, they have bad nature and characters because of the effects of the fall. But they sin. God doesn't force them to sin. God doesn't put a gun to their head and force them to sin or fornicate or commit adultery and commit murder. That's their fault. That's not God's fault. And to say it's God's fault is just simply irrational. It's stupid. It's foolishness. In the book of Job, Satan accuses Job of not loving God but serving him only for the sake of gaining wealth and possessions. Uh, Job 1, 9 to 11. The patriarch's trials will prove that Satan is a liar. In Zechariah 3.1, Joshua the high priest is ministering in the, under the angel of the Lord on behalf of Jerusalem and the covenant nation. Satan is standing next to Joshua in order to oppose him in his position as intercessor in, on behalf of God's people. Although we are not told the accusation, the context, verses 3-5, to five, indicates that the devil was pointing out Joshua's sins. How dare you, God, have this... Human high priest who's himself a sinner praying for the nation, interceding for the nation. Now, Christ, of course, doesn't have that problem. Christ is without sin. He's, he's the perfect mediator. That's why the Old Testament mediators were only types. We needed Christ. But here's Satan accusing Joshua of all these sins. Well, what does God do? The challenge would be, how can a sinner intercede on behalf of sinners? Satan deliberately left out the coming Messiah's atonement for sin and imputation of righteousness. Therefore, we see that Satan can make accusations, accurate accusations, coupled with false theological presuppositions. What does God do? You know, the, you know the, the famous scene here. God rebukes Satan, and then what does he do? Take off his filthy robes, and then put on clean robes of righteousness, and put on his head a clean turban, spotless, white, impeccable, due to what? Christ's righteousness. Christ's righteousness. Your sin is taken away. And then Christ's perfect righteousness is reckoned or imputed to your account. When God looks upon you on the day of judgment, he doesn't say, oh, you're going to get in because you're a good person. You're going to get in because you are covenantally faithful, as in the heresy of the federal vision. 
uh, or Roman Catholicism, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Yes, of course, anybody who doesn't have true faith will not lead a life of obedience, habitual obedience. But the point is, is that we're saved solely by the righteousness of Christ. <clears throat> Therefore, we see that Satan can make accurate accusations based on false theological presuppositions. He's a false theologian. He's a, a, a false teacher. By ignoring the grace and mercy of God, Satan seeks to place the saints in an untenable position. Yahweh, however, rebukes Satan, points to his electing grace, and sets before the devil a visible picture of the removal of sin and guilt by Christ and the imputation of his perfect positive righteousness, verses 2 and five, through 5. God has to remind Satan of the gospel. Yeah, Joshua is here. He's ministering in the temple. He's ministering before me. Not because he's done good, enough good works to merit this, but because I've imputed to him the righteousness, I've removed his sins and imputed to him the righteousness of Christ. Jesus described this aspect of Satan's behavior well in John chapter 8, verse 44, when he rebuked the Pharisees. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, it's a really interesting expression, indicating everything he, that his whole worldview, everything he stands for is a lie, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So the devil is a liar from the very beginning, because, he is, because it is in his nature to lie. The desire of the devil is only contrary to God, and therefore is only evil. Although, as we have seen, he was created very beautiful, very good, by God. As the most powerful of the angels, he refused to continue in a state of truth and righteousness because he wanted to be his own God. He therefore became the opposer of truth, justice, and righteousness because one must conform to the mind of God and submit to him to possess and live the truth. I love what Van Til says. The Christian, our thinking is creative, uh, is reconstructive. We, we think God's thoughts after him. We live in terms of what God has told us to do. We completely submit ourselves to what the word of God says. We live to serve Christ. But Satan and secular humanists have a completely different way of thinking. Their thinking is that we create the truth. We determine what is right and wrong. We determine reality. That's why when they, they say a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man, or they say that gerbils and fisting and sodomy is wonderful, that's why they can say things that are absolutely obviously wrong and absurd. They can say these things with a straight face because they believe man creates reality. And if you don't understand this, you won't understand the insanity that we're seeing today. What's happening today is simply a logical culmination of secular humanism that goes back, you know, to the, to the uh, late 1700s. And it got stronger and stronger and stronger. Every lie is a devilish act. For any worldview, religion, or philosophy that does not believe in and follow the true God is an imitation of the devil and has its source in him. And that's what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. Here we see that the devil is not only an adversary and a lying slanderer, he is also a deliberate deceiver. Like men, 
He has fallen and thoroughly corrupted. But unlike man, he cannot be redeemed. The demons can never be redeemed. They're just simply biding their time until they're cast into the bottomless pit, the lake of fire. He will hate and fight against God to the very bitter end. But these biblical truths, from these biblical truths, we can understand some important things about unbelievers. One thing to keep in mind is that the non-Christian is covenantally under Satan. You are of your father the devil. And is living out a lie. Men prompted by the father of lies not only reject the truth about God, Jesus Christ, and the Bible, but are actively opposed to biblical Christianity. That's why we can't have any kind of harmony or neutrality with believers and unbelievers. They hate the truth. They may be, uh, they may be at nice to you and shake your hand and act very nice, but they are haters of God or haters of the Bible. The Jewish leadership put Jesus to death because they hated the truth. And Jesus was truth itself, John 14, 6. Satan is the deceiver of the whole world of unbelievers, Revelation 12, 9. And for this reason, he is called the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and the ruler of this world, John 12, 31, 4, and 14, 30, and 16, 11. Once men commit themselves to ethical and philosophical autonomy from God, taking a position of independence from Yahweh and his self-revelation, they're, they are, whether atheistic or not, Satanists. They are Satanists. They, like the devil, must oppose God and his kingdom of grace and truth on this earth. That is why the whole idea of secularism, this idea, we're going to have a secular public square, we're going to have secular schools, secular universities, secular corporations, and we're just going to leave religion out of everything. And you can go to church, you can have your prayer closet, you can read the Bible and read Christian books and all that. That's fine with me. But, but we're going to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're going to have neutrality. That's completely a myth. And Christians are learning this the hard way. When the FBI is called on you, when you're attacked for just speaking the simple biblical truth about homosexuality and adultery and things like that, there's no neutrality. And the more you cooperate with these people, and if you send your children to public schools, you're cooperating with Satan and you're handing your children over to satanic schools. Once men commit themselves to ethical and philosophical autonomy from God, they are Satanists. They, like the devil, must oppose God and his kingdom of grace and truth on this earth. And then I'll do, I'll do one more little, I got one more brief point, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll continue next week. Number three, the designations of Satan emphasize not only his kingdom of lies, but also his work of destruction. In John 8, we saw that Jesus identifies him as a murderer from the beginning, verse 44. Now, it was a spiritual murdering, of course, with Adam and Eve. It was a spiritual handing them over to a spiritual death, which leads to physical death. But they were also behind the murder uh, from, uh, of Cain of Abel. In Revelation, he is called Abaddon and Apollon, Revelation 9-11, both meaning destroyer. Satan is presented as the very person, very personification of death itself in see 1 Corinthians 10.10. 10. In Hebrews 2.14, we are told that Jesus came and assumed a true human nature, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. It was the devil who persuaded mankind to abandon God and life for rebellion and death. The satanic leadership and philosophy has placed man under the curse and death. I ask you, are you a Satanist today?
Are you following Satan? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Have you bowed the knee to him? Have you become a Christian? Are you following Christ? Do you go to church every Sunday, a Bible-believing church, and hear gospel preaching? Or are you just living for self? Satan desires the destruction of mankind because, he is, because man is made in God's image. He cannot strike at God directly, so he strikes at God at him indirectly. The devil especially strikes at the people of God, for covenantally and redemptively they are part of God's own special family. It was Satan who encouraged Cain to murder Abel. Cain, the unbeliever, murdering Abel, the believer. The devil is behind all the unjust wars, murders, and persecutions in this world. Because Satan rejects God's moral law and divine truth, his actions by nature are deceptive and destructive. There is a great antithesis between Satan and his followers and Jesus Christ and his disciples throughout history. Christianity grows by peaceful means as the Holy Spirit raises dead hearts and opens blind eyes to the truth of the gospel. It is a religion of peace and truth. We're not like Muslims. We don't go around cutting off heads and murdering people. We tell people the gospel, and we tell them, you need to bow the knee to Christ as Lord and Savior right now. And if they tell us to go to hell, or they tell us, you know, I've done a lot of witnessing. I've People curse at me, and I've had people throw beer cans at me. Um, you just walk away. The Muslim, you load up a car with dynamite, and you go blow up his house. <laughs> It's a religion of peace and truth. Satanism, a philosophy of lies based on deception and coercion. Men are deliberately deceived and then walk the broad path that leads to destruction, Matthew 7, 14. Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but that end is the way of death. And then I'll, I'll stop here and we'll, i got some more stuff here. We're going to look at Belial. He's called Belial. And he's called Beelzebub. We'll look at that uh, next week. Um, but this is this is crucial stuff. I mean, you have to understand. We're involved in a spiritual war. And Paul, you know, I talked about that in my the beginning of the introduction. Paul says, look, you have to look at reality. We're not at war against flesh and blood. Now, in a sense, we are. But he said, you got to look at what's behind what's going on. Who's pulling the strings? Who's controlling things? is Satan and the demonic hordes. Biden and the Democrats and these people who run these nations, like Putin, they're Satan worshipers. Putin may submit to baptism. Putin may say he goes to the Russian Orthodox Church. But Putin is a Satanist because he does not obey the Bible at all. He does what he wants, and that includes murder, rape, theft. He's totally satanic. And he should be put to death, and we should all pray for Russia to be defeated and the Russian soldiers to die, for they deserve death. If they're in there and they're trying to kill people, they deserve death. They should refuse to fight and go to prison, or they should surrender immediately, or they should flee the country. You, you have no right to go into another nation and murder people. It's murder. In a just war, when you're de defending yourself, it's not murder. You're defending yourself. It's like somebody comes in your home and you have to shoot the robber. But what they're doing is satanic. Well, we'll stop there. We'll continue next week. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for you've warned us. But we thank you most of all that you've removed us from the realm of Satan by your spirit and holy word that Christ died for us on the cross, that he rose from the dead on our behalf, and that he has 
regenerated our hearts so we could trust in your truth, that we could trust in your Son. But we ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit continuously and enable us to live consistently with that calling of being a Christian, that we bow the knee to Christ as Lord daily, that we'd pick up our cross and follow him daily, that we would put to death our sinful members, that we would be submissive and obedient, covenantally faithful to your holy law. Help us, Lord, for we are tempted. Open our eyes, bend our hearts, cause us to submit to your holy word in Jesus' name. Amen.